Okay, gang, welcome back to Reanimated. Uh, another blast from the past for you today as uh, H.A. and Stuart, uh, the regular hosts of Reanimated, are out and about gallivanting uh, and doing holiday things. This week, we've got the encore presentation of Reanimated's episode about dead snow, reaching way back to episode 20, when it was just really pretty much the same thing that's going on now, just even longer ago, like... 2013 i want to say 2014 either way hope you enjoy it and listen on ha and i today are going to be reviewing the 2009 i think it's not too soon to say that it's a classic no it's Uh, definitely a classic it's got its own little following most certainly the film Dead Snow, by directed by Tommy Wirkola. We're going to butcher a bunch of Norwegian names because <laughs> uh, neither H.A. or I really realized that we were reviewing a Norwegian film today. I kind of assumed that it was, I assumed that it was set in, in Europe or, or in Northern Europe. And then I just, for whatever reason, thought that it was going to be in English. But I was much, yeah. I was super happy that it was, it was subtitled and not dubbed. Um, myself as well. And uh, for some reason, I knew it was a foreign film and a foreign director, but just didn't realize that it was in another language. But that was okay, too. It actually added to it, in my opinion. Um, but this movie was made on a budget of $800,000, which is pretty impressive given how it looks. Um, I thought it was filmed very well. Um, but it's, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty decent sized cast as well. Especially when you count all those Nazi zombies. Indeed. Um, so, uh, do you want to do you want to kick off the opening, Stuart? The opening, right? So this film begins with uh, a a nighttime in the snow chase. Basically, uh, I was wondering when I was watching this if it was kind of shot like in the daytime. Old films they used to shoot uh, yeah night scenes in the daytime and then just make it really dark. Uh, in I think that's. I think that's definitely what they did here, um, but it was still very pretty. It could have been just a full moon in Norway in the snow, like because that will make a lot of you know reflective light. It's just I think it's hard to tell because you've seen it, you've seen it done the other way so many times, and now I feel like you look at this and you're like, is that for real? If they don't show the moon or the sky in the shot, I you know I think it gets harder to tell. But then if they yeah if they pan away from the snow, you lose a lot of that reflected light too. So it's, it's basically a scene of a lot of silhouettes. And um, but it has, it's got the whole creepy music in the background. Um, it's the Hall of the Mountain King, I think. Oh yeah, it's Grieg. Yeah, that's that's a great use of that because I only associate that with um, Fantasia. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so we got the skier, and she's just kind of. I mean, you get the sense that she's, you know, skiing for her life or something. She's definitely terrified. She's making her way over the mountains in the snow. And it's hard to tell whether she was out there for survival reasons or not at first. And then you kind of see that she's being chased by something. Yes, a group of somethings. And at one yes. point, they, the, the film quickly uh, lets us know that it's not afraid of the cheap scares when right. she stops to catch her breath and it looks like there's nothing behind her. <laughs> and then his yeah. head pops up right in front of the camera and you're just like, oh, okay. It's, uh, one it's one of those movies. Yes, they don't they don't hold back. It's they do every single possible thing that they could do on this. It's an example of a film that is quite self-conscious uh, about 
coming to the party a little late in terms of horror and then in playing to the to a lot of those uh, self-conscious tropes. And at first you think she's going to get away because she is making some pretty good time. And then alas, alas, she... She does she hit her head first or she falls first and she then hits falls the head. and hits something and then she's like ow and then a bunch of bunch of dudes jump on her and start tearing into her. Yep, and then she's done. Then it flips immediately to a driving scene and we are introduced to the, our cast basically the rest of the cast. The, se- the um, gang, the seven other well, the seven members of this little uh, travel group. Right, the medical students. Um, so I don't know. Do you want to take a hack at the names? Because I'll do it if you don't want to. <laughs> I will read them off of a list. We got uh, Vegard, <laughs> Martin, Erland, Roy, Sarah, Hannah, Chris, and Leave. Uh, the first four there are dudes. The last four are ladies. Um, so Chris is a, is a lady. I think that's the only one that will get confusing later. Um, and uh, they're they're separated by gender in the first, and we've got the the dudes are um, talking about which single chicks are coming on the trip, and about how to f- dig your way out of a uh, avalanche, which right. actually didn't really come in handy later. I mean, it kind of did. For I thought face. it would be more yeah. important, but in any case, and we are also introduced to uh, to Vegard's very sweet headband. Which <laughs> does not leave his head for a very large part of this movie. Yeah, no, he's in the um, And then the other car is the ladies, and they are talking also about which men are single, which are taken, <laughs> and just what sex animals they are, or how nerdy they are. Um, but this is supposed to be Easter weekend, apparently, and the cabin that they're going to is their friend Sarah's, who has been trying to ski over the mountain. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. And so they're like, oh, what time is Sarah going to get there? And they're like, maybe tonight or tomorrow. She's so badass. So right away, we're like, oh, yeah, maybe that was maybe that was her who Wait. died last night. Uh, they, they arrive at the, the dismount point and their two Volkswagens or whatever it is they're driving. And uh, Vegard goes ahead on his... Um, Snowmobile, thank you. Right, and his which snowmobile. he loves very much. Did you oh, yeah. notice he's how, like, how he's much of an attention <laughs> he yeah. gave to? He's petting it and stroking now, it, and then he like does all these wicked jumps on it. Right, but one thing that I, you know, and this is just a minor point, but he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to the cabin and get it all set up and the luggage, take all your luggage. But then they're all still carrying luggage. Like, and yeah. somebody's bringing like a wheelie suitcase, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense at all. But I, that is just a small point. Yeah, that would um, suck. Um, but we, this is also where, uh, when they're walking up, Erland, who's like the the tubby blonde guy, is like, "Oh, hey, how many movies start out with you know a group <laughs> of kids going to a cabin?" And they're like, "Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, and um, I, I guess that is basically a. They're just saying exactly which movie they based this one off of, or not exactly, but it's definitely an Evil Dead." type film more than say a a typical zombie film oh definitely it's definitely the cabin in the woods remote location you know couples out thinking they're having a fun time and really they're just gonna bite it and you know i saw you know cabin in the woods did this too and it was called cabin in the woods for this specific trope so 
Um, so you kind of know what you're in for. And uh, by the way, this is billed as a horror comedy. Um, so it's, they basically are not being shy about laying out exactly what the audience is going to say. Although honestly, as a comedy, I think there's a couple of really funny moments, but it, it's not a comedy. It's not a comedy. I would say it's a horror film with a couple of comic moments. It is to me, it is definitely not a Shaun of the Dead type film. Um, No. No. So, um, but maybe we're not getting it because we're not Norwegian. Maybe there's a lot of, yeah, maybe there's some lost in translation going on there. Um, But for the most part, it's pretty serious. Um, You know, there's the typical good times that are had before all the shit hits the fan. And maybe we're supposed to be laughing the whole time we're watching that, you know? I don't know about you, Stuart, but I really enjoy going tubing and eating hot dogs. It's awesome. Yeah. And listening to Norwegian punk rock. Or speed metal or whatever. Whatever it is. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that's basically what happens when they get to the top of the mountain. They're like, they go tubing and um, they, we find out that some of them are already a couple. Are Vegard and Sarah a couple? Yes. I think they are. Yeah, they are. Because he keeps saying his girlfriend's cabin. So, yes, I believe that they are definitely a couple. We got Martin and Hannah, who Hannah of the Dreadlocks are a couple. And she refers to him as being like the hottest one there uh, in the cars when they're on their way there. And he's actually kind of interesting. (laughs) He's just nerdy looking. Super Um, nerdy looking. Also has a total fear of blood, which they mentioned about 10 times before they even get to the cabin. Yeah. Um, And then. then, Who else is like Roy is a single dude who has no prospects because he's too horny. And Erland, a blonde tubby guy, is single and uh, apparently completely irresistible to Chris, who is way out of his league. Totally out of his league. And he, like, they bill him as being such a movie nerd into movies, and she tries to bond with him about this a couple of times. But, yes, this coupling does not make sense to me. But, you know, more power to him. (laughs) And then Uh, there's uh, Leave, who is just on her own, right? Yeah, she looks like, um, seriously, like a member of ABBA. She totally does. <laughs> and she, I think, is most notable for her fearful expressions. I'm going to throw that out there. I, I would agree with you there. So uh, the, they're having a good time. The uh, night falls and uh, a knock. Wait, no, there's not a knock on the door, but leave. The blonde is out in the outhouse. And sees somebody running around, uh, like being really furtive and weird, just outside the the light from the windows of the cabin. Let and me just like, pause here and talk mm-hmm. about this outhouse. First of all, I don't know, like the outhouse in the middle of the woods just never seems like a good idea to me. Just saying. I know they're in a pretty remote area, but come on. Yeah, For what reasons? Well, especially, like, it's so remote. There's probably, like, wild animals out there. It's freezing cold. you got to go out there. I mean, we're talking about a very cold climate. Maybe they're just used to it because they're Norwegian. But just totally weird. Even when she went out into the outhouse, I was like, even in normal circumstances, just just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. But I, I do digress now. <laughs> well, I've never been to a Norwegian cabin. I've been to a Swiss one, and they... There was one toilet, but it didn't work in the winter uh, because everything would be frozen. So we would actually just go out and, and shit in the woods, uh, like dig out a, a snowy area. But, you know, it, the snow is really it, whatever, probably too much information. But um, 
you, this is like either you're just like okay this is now the shit area and so we dig a giant path to get there and then uh yeah then you're on your own so i'm 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 going to say that the the outhouse is not is actually quite nice compared to uh, out in the open air i guess still anyway Le- leave is out there and she sees something and admittedly if i was out there in the middle of the night and they're all kind of drunk as well by the way so little bit she's a little bit tipsy and she sees something and it's definitely a human something and she goes back to tell everybody and they all kind of make fun of her yeah Um, and this this doesn't make a huge amount of sense it's good for building tension because this person or thing is acting like it's spying on them and then running around out beyond the light and then there's a knock on the door and it's old guy right uh want the wanderer i think is what they bill him as um and, you know, he really reminded me of, um, you know, in Jaws, the crazy drunken fisherman. I can't say I, I am that familiar. No. Um, so basically, you've got in Jaws, they have everybody, you know, is trying to figure out what's going on. And then, you know, everybody's kind of everybody's kind of upset. They, they, it's a big mystery. They, they're all in the dark. And then Quint the the shark fisherman comes in and tells everybody sort of the background and, and how he's going to help them get rid of the shark. So in this case, this crazy old guy shows up and he's super weird. I don't know that I would be inviting this guy into my house. Would you? I think this is cultural. It has to be like, for whatever reason, you don't turn people away from your cabin when they're like, give me some coffee. This coffee's <laughs> terrible. Give me a beer. Let me smoke. You guys suck. I'm out of here. Like, that's kind right. of how it goes. It totally is. And he shows up and he's kind of yelling at them for even being in the cabin. He's upset to hear that Sarah's skiing over the mountains and then tells them this really super disturbing story about the area, um, which is the basis for this whole film. Um, and apparently this area had been taken over by the Nazis during the Second World War and they were awful to the townspeople. They tortured them horribly and in the end they tried to take all their um their valuables like they would go house to house and at that point apparently not when they were being tortured but when their valuables were were on the line the townspeople stood up and revolted and went after this whole legion of nazis um which were led by oberst um herzog herzog so Oberst basically said, or didn't say anything, he just was like, I'm not going to get my head bashed in by the villagers, and took his legion of Nazis into the hills. And so apparently there's evil in the hills that the wanderer says should not be bothered with, or, or, or he kept saying tread lightly, we don't want to wake it up, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and Leaf, Oberst, and on the, Oberst, by the way, is just his rank. It's not his first oh, name. Oh, is that? I thought it was yeah. his first name. Apologies. My, my bad. Um, so, Erzog, um is somewhere, never came back, somewhere out there in the woods. And on that happy note, the Wanderer just takes off. It doesn't really give them any other information other than that, right? Yeah, he does kind of choke Roy out a little bit. Oh, also, another point that we should uh, remember is that in the car ride, it, it is divulged that uh, Beggard 
and Roy are both uh, have both done some military time. You know, in Europe, it's in certain countries, it's more common to do a little bit of uh, military, you know, before college or something like that. So um, that's they've they've both got a little bit of experience. Although Roy admitted that he didn't remember very much from his time. So when I was looking at the old guy choking Roy out, I'm just like, Roy, you're not really representing. So us- well. Yeah, no, he was totally just hanging out there. I forgot about the choking part. Yeah. So because yeah. you know, honestly, the old dude does not present his information well enough. He's just kind of like, look out for evil because 50 years ago, some bad shit happened here, 60. And, and then they're all just kind of like, yeah, okay, buddy. Um, we appreciate you coming into this cabin, insulting us, telling us to look out for evil. And then, you know, so they kind of laugh at him, and which is why he gets super pissed and calls them spoiled brats and then leaves in a sulk. Right. You know, he just, he didn't, uh, he didn't present very well, and then he doesn't really uh, perform very well five minutes later when we see him in his tent. Right. And he's just, for somebody who's supposedly aware of all the evil, he wasn't exactly on guard. Wouldn't you agree? I guess not. Well, I mean, how on guard can you be in a tent in a snowstorm at night? Uh, but he does have a gun, and he has a flashlight. He's, I think he's a, he's a dude who's used to being able to handle his... Uh, handle his stuff and he doesn't know i guess what form the evil is going to take necessarily he just knows there's some bad juju up there Hmm. and i have to say this is part of the the film that i was mm, so so about i feel i felt like they needed to build up this story a little bit more but they didn't so in any case he gets taken out in pretty short order by a nazi zombie and it's a pretty it's a pretty dirty ending too yeah uh, a lot of the uh, outside the tent looking with a light inside of it, some of the good uh, good silhouette and blood blood stuff. The blood in this movie should have its own credit. In it should have its own credit. It is like, it is pretty impressive, actually. There, I mean, eight hundred thousand dollars is probably like four hundred thousand dollars worth of fake blood. In blood, um, and then you know, back at the ranch, we have the kids in the house again. And they're all just kind of doing their thing. And I think we didn't mention this, but there's this weird scene where, you know, I guess it's character building, but you're kind of seeing stuff going on within the different couples. And there's this really strange little side scene where Martin says something to Hannah like, oh, let me show you this medieval um, anesthetic technique. And then he does this creepy thing where he pins her down and almost suffocates her with a pillow, which I thought was really creepy. Yeah, um, there's, there's no funny there's no funny side to it, and I think he feels pretty bad about it because everybody's like, "What the fuck is the matter with you?" And right. uh, Hannah hits him with a spoon on his head multiple times, which is probably really painful. Right. Um, and then to, on to the next little plot point is that um, um, Air, Airland goes. Where's he going? He went down into the little crawl space to get something. Was it yeah. more beer or something like yeah, that? Yeah, that's where the that's the ice chest basically. Um, and comes upon, dun dun dun, dun this wooden box that he pulls up uh, out of the little space, and turns out it's full of gold coins and other goods. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, that it's and there at all. They've completely forgotten the story. Uh, so <laughs> they're just like, oh, look at all this gold. And then they're like, oh, let's wait for Sarah. And then they don't do that. And they obviously are getting drunk. And Well, this, you've are... actually jumped a little bit. Like, we've missed a day. Because Vergard isn't there anymore, basically. 
when they find uh, us. Oh, okay. I thought he was still there, but perhaps you're yeah, correct. He, he's this. He basically leaves the next day um, because Sarah story, hasn't this, shown up. And the story creeped him out sufficiently, I think, that he yeah. was worried. Plus, he had some weird little night terror where he thought he saw her walking around the house. Yeah, he sees and, her walking around the house and blood coming out of her mouth and digging through that hatch in the floor where they keep the beer and where we know the, the box is down there, too. But So he's like, I'm out of here. And the, actually, the scene where he wakes up out of bed, he's wearing, what, long gone pants and his and his knitted headband. And it's a pretty cool look. I'm not going to lie. No, it is a cool look. It makes me, it, it, that headband is probably one of my favorite pieces of this film. Um, but yeah, he goes off on his own. And, you know, it's actually, I kind of enjoy his little journey. Because it's like he goes off in a snowmobile, then he stops to have a sandwich and tea. And he's just having a little outing out there. Yeah. Um, and then you're correct. Then they do find the gold. So, yeah. uh, And he also finds the corpse of the wandering guy pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. instead of, um, I don't know, calling the cops at that point immediately, he's even more worried about Sarah. So he keeps going looking for her. I, right. I would think, like, you know, if you're going to nitpick this film, you you could argue that he would he should have gone right down the hill and gotten the cops right away. Right. But I could also see if there was somebody that you cared about up there. If you're, like, sufficiently freaked out, you're still going to look for them. Plus, he's had military training, Stuart, so maybe he feels like he could handle it. You're now in a situation where you could call the cops and they could bring up search parties and sure. do a much better job than one guy on a snowmobile. I would, despite his training, which apparently is really good, because this guy is kind of the only badass, or he he is, he is the biggest badass in the film. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, and then so there, while he is doing all this stuff. He, back at the ranch, they are looking through the gold, and they do weird stuff with it. Like if you found something in somebody's house, like I don't, I don't know, I wouldn't be pocketing it. And they're all like putting coins in people's coats, and everybody's being a little weird and greedy, which is kind of odd. Um, well, this is uh, horror movie stuff. Like, yeah, if you show greed, that's a, you know, you're gonna get killed. Right back to to cabin in the woods. Yeah. Uh, same. Same thing there. Um, you know, they're still having a good time. They're not really worrying that much. They're still getting drunk. Um, and things with, you know, um, Erland and Chris really heat up in a way that I'm truly uncomfortable about. Because of your discomfort with this, I want you to talk about it. So, so Erland, who's the chubby dude, basically says he has to take a big sh- and goes out to the outhouse. And at this moment in time, not too long after, um, Chris basically says, okay, I have to go too, or whatever, and makes like, excuses to go out and seduce him in the outhouse. And, you know, he wasn't making it up. He really was taking a big shit in the outhouse. And she follows him in there and, like, has sex with him. And it was the most disgusting thing because that's, like, all I could think about is the fact that he would just taken this huge shit in there. Um... It was truly ick. It really made me super uncomfortable to watch this scene. <laughs> I thought it was magical. You did not. <laughs> but then, you know, he's done with her. He's done all of his business on many levels and then takes off back to the cabin. 
Yeah, that's that's the nice part of this. Like post coital, uh, <laughs> Erlen is just like, all right, I'm done, and I goes know. back inside and leaves her to take care of. Now I guess she actually had to take it too, maybe. Maybe, so maybe. She's, she's still chilling out there, and yeah. then Nazi zombie. Yes, Nazi zombie. She does not have a good ending at all. Yeah, um, it's pretty bad. Uh, somehow Nazi zombie gets inside the uh, outhouse and pulls her down into the poop uh, reservoir. <laughs> and you think maybe that's the end of her. But no, no, but then she com- somehow comes back up and she's got like a big, a pretty big wound in her, her like in her belly. Um, and, and she's, she's just kind of screaming. And she, yeah, and she's just kind of screaming, but nobody can hear her because of the crappy death metal they have playing. Um, and, and Erlen's just kind of like, ah, oh, she's fine. <laughs> and now Hannah be- becomes like the, the warrior, um, goes, <laughs> she opens the door, calls out her name and she's like, she didn't answer. She's not out there. And nobody seems that worried, especially Erlen, who should have some sort of attachment to this woman at this point. Oh, maybe not. Maybe he's still it was within just ten a... minutes of uh, of sealing the deal, and he's just already like, whatever. She's just playing games, right? Um, and... And, uh, Hannah's looking out a window in the kitchen, and she sees a... <laughs> Chris's head yes. comes up to the window. She's like, "Oh, thank God!" And then <laughs> whoever's holding the head like lifts it up out of sight. So, but you do get to see that it's she's been decapitated. decapitated. Um, <laughs> I thought that was actually pretty cool. That was well done. That, that was well done. Um, and then all hell breaks loose in the cabin because now they're like, wow, something creepy is going on outside. And they find a shotgun and then they got knives. Um, and then they realize that, yeah, zombies are trying to come to the windows and to the door. And uh, they're hacking arms and hands off. And Erland, our resident... Um, you know, inside knowledge guy is like, don't get bitten. Whatever happens, don't get bitten. And then... <laughs> and of course... And then he gets... Uh, he's standing too close to a window, of course. And he gets pulled out. And his head gets just pulled apart. Which is a pretty awesome effect. Even though it was terrible, it was still pretty good. I thought it was... Pre- like, when you see the bits of his brain on the brain. floor... Brain? Yeah. That was nasty. Um, yeah, that's yeah. So he meets his end... And then I think we cut back to uh, Vergard. We, like, leave them in this terrible situation. I know. They're remaining, uh, what, there's four of them in there now? Yep. And um, we head back to Vergard, who's still out there on a snowmobile. I think, actually, by this point, he's fallen through the ice into a snow cavern. Right. And, and he it, doesn't know exactly where he is, but um, obviously he's not going to get back out because he fell pretty far. So he starts wandering around, and there's, like... There's several tunnels, but there's now a light in them, right? There, he he gets out pretty quickly, though. I mean, because he's wandering around, and he sees some light coming through the the ceiling, right? And it breaks out of the tunnel, um, and then immediately goes to his snowmobile, makes a torch uh, using the gasoline from the gas tank, and goes back in right. to, the, to the tunnel because he wants to explore. Why would you do this? I don't know. But... Maybe Sarah's down there, you know. I guess. Um, well, she is actually down there, and he finds her. <laughs> Part of her. <laughs> Part of her. Her head. So um, this is apparently where the Nazi zombies have been hanging out, are these snow caves. Right. Uh, and um, so he finds some guns and a German, you know, a Nazi flag and Sarah's head and a bunch of helmets. 
And then, of course, he also finds some Nazi zombies down there. Right. And this is not good because he's all on his own, but he manages to get out into the open. And, you know, he's impressive. He's definitely impressive here. They are not. They are fast zombies. They're also very strong. Um, They have knives. And they have a terrible habit of popping up behind you or through the snow. Right. That's one of the the best pieces of this is that that is just an interesting element. Um, But so he thinks he's okay because he gets rid of the sort of guard zombie from the tunnels or he thinks he does. And then one other one pops up from the snow and he's like, oh, great. And kind of takes this one out or or like incapacitates it by first throwing a knife at its eye and then having a tree eviscerate it. Yeah, it's a it's one of many of these like right. evisceration via tree things. They, do, they have a thing about the trees, most certainly in this film. Um, and but then his other friend comes back to life, and you know, Verkard is just not going to give up. Um, and he ends up saving himself because he's rolled off a cliff by holding the intestines of the eviscerated zombie. And there's another zombie that's holding on to him who climbs up right. him and then takes a big chunk out of his neck. But he's still not going to go down. No, it's this scene is nuts. Like it's a, it's kind of it's kind of over the top. It's completely kind. over the top. <laughs> of course it is. And he climbs back up the the guts uh, uh, after somehow getting the zombie off of him and kicking him off the cliff, and then goes to his his uh, snowmobile and finds his uh, trusty fishing hook and some wire. And sews up his neck in a scene that really was way too long for as it disgusting was, as it was. It was too long. It was super disgusting. And then I like how he finishes it off by like putting duct tape around his neck. Like that was awesome. <laughs> um, and then he's like, I guess I better get back to the cabin, right? Yeah. He's like, I guess my work is done here. Uh, better go. Oh, well, first, he puts a machine. He puts a MG42 on the front of his snowmobile, a machine gun. And um, and drives off. And then they throw in another zombie, uh, kind of like a little, we didn't really need this one, but a zombie comes out of the snow again, climbs onto the back of his snowmobile, and then gets hit by a low-hanging branch. It's like, okay. There's yeah, your like, comedy, just, I guess. That's your it comedy. was, but so there was stuff like that that was thrown in that just was unnecessary. It was, it, And I, maybe it was supposed to be all super over the top, but it just felt weird. I, f- I also felt like that piece was like, what? Because then you're like Keystone cop zombies, you know? Right. Yeah. It- um, and that's really not the tone of this film at all. I mean, they're Nazi zombies. Um, <laughs> Can't uh, mix up your 1930s police with, right. uh, with Nazis. No, not cool. But okay, so yeah, uh, we, leave, we leave him and go back to the cabin where our four survivors are not doing very well. They're all freaking out. Yeah, and they come really... up with a they come up with a terrible plan. It's a pretty terrible plan. Where they're going to split up, and you know, as soon as you say that in a horror film, never a good thing. I mean, Erland would have said, "No, of course you can't split up. Haven't you but seen he's... every movie ever?" But, but he stood so close to the window. So they they decide that two of them will run back to the cars and get help, and two of the other ones will distract and lure the zombies somewhere to the fjord, perhaps. Right. Um, so then it breaks down. So Hannah and leave um, the two girls, the two remaining girls, uh, are going to run back to the cars. And Roy and Martin 
are going to distract the zombies. And and this this duo of Martin and Roy, I think, is where a lot of the remaining humor in the film. It's true. Uh, basically, comes from because the girls are in dire straits. There's nothing funny going on with them. They're gonna die. No, no they're totally gonna die. And you know, they're they're running down. Things are really bad. And they're, I mean. I would say Leave is is definitely taking the crazy train. Like she's so panicked and pulling a lot of her crazy faces at this yep. point. Yep. Um, and panics even more when Hannah is suggesting that they split up. Right, uh, because they start getting chased by zombies. Right, and and, like, and I will say Leave does have a point here, which is like, look, we have no chance at all if that happens. Um, but. In the end, it still didn't matter. Um, and she what's is... funny? Yeah, it's weird. Like they're having this way too long conversation about having how they should not split up. And of course, during and then they this do. Way, how, yeah, and then during this conversation, the zombies catch up to them. Right. And then the next scene that we see them, they are not together. Right. They are totally split up. And um, leave. I, you know, her end is pretty rough. Yeah, it's, messed up. Messed it's up. Not good. Um, it's filmed. Like you're looking through her eyes and she's just seeing her intestines in front of her and you realize it's actually because the Nazis are eating her intestines and she's watching them eat her alive. Um, And she does what I think is probably the only thing she can do at this point and she pulls a grenade off of one of their belts and just takes them all out with her. Because who wants to sit through that? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good move. It was. It was. And Tana, in the meantime, sees the explosion but doesn't know what's happened and just continues to... Continues running. None of them also... This is another thing that kind of pissed me off. When they came up with this plan, none of them know how to get, how to get back to the cars because Vergard was the one who knew the way, or Vegard. And um, even though they all walked up there maybe a day, maybe two days before, they and don't there were remember still how tracks. to get back. There were still tracks, supposedly, but maybe it snowed. It was hard to tell. It had been snowing, but still, like, how... It was a 45-minute walk. Right. That's not... That's like three miles. It's, well, in the snow, it's actually less. That's less than three miles in the snow because it takes that long to go. You know, your your pace slows down. It was, didn't, didn't they say 45 minutes at the beginning of the film? Yes, yes. So it's really not very far at all to the cars. Um, and they can't they can't remember how to get back. And so she, they're, they've been running in random directions, not really knowing where they're going, trying to just go generally downhill. And then Hannah ends up getting chased by a couple more zombies. We finally see Oberst uh, Herzog for the first time, and he's using binoculars. He's a very advanced zombie. He, he has lots of uh, zombie soldiers with him still, at least like 12 or something. And he like sends them off after Hannah. And yeah. she, uh, she climbs a tree. And here we come to <laughs> a scene where the $800,000... Um, and maybe uh, some shortcuts in there, special effects tech, uh, special effects budget definitely come through because she climbs this tree and the zombies can't see her. They go right past her. But then calamity strikes when she sees a bird's nest in front of her. Do you remember this scene? Uh, yes, but go for it. Okay, so she sees this bird's nest with some eggs in it. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny little bird's nest, obviously uh, a prop. And <laughs> and it's also the middle of winter. Like there are no eggs in nests. And whatever. Okay, yes. moving on. <laughs> and, See, I uh, like I like how this is the thing that bothered you the most, and the other one was it shows it shows our different priorities. Go for it. And then you start to hear a bird making noises off camera, 
and she starts shushing it off. Like she's looking mm-hmm. off to her right and like shushing a bird that is squawking off camera. Like we're supposed to now think that the bird has come back to its nest and is trying to get, and she's like, no. And she starts to struggle with a bird. And then you see like these a feathery wing come from off camera and like oh, starts slapping bad. her in the face. <laughs> and she's like, and eventually she grabs like this fake crow and whatever it is head against the tree and then uh looks down and the two zombies are there staring at her but i just thought best fake bird fight uh of the ever <laughs> I, you know i kind of thought that they were being deliberately cheesy with this like it was such a ridiculous thing that it felt like they were maybe this was part of the comedy because that's what i thought it was but i i mean it was pretty bad and then hannah uh, she she's really just not having a good day overall no she can't Um, win for sure like not only do they see her in the tree and then she runs up to a cliff and basically lures that like makes the ice or the snow crack and falls off the cliff with this other zombie who had chased her uh and then we we think she's dead basically and we go back to the other the the, what we think are the the final three varigard martin although varigard doesn't really show up for a while it's basically martin and roy doing some crazy uh stuff <laughs> crazy stuff like they're back inside i think the um the cabin they're back inside the cabin and then they making molotov cocktails yeah so their idea i don't know what they think they're going to do with these maybe just throw them at them um but they but they are not very successful in creating these because they kind of set the cabin on fire right i don't i couldn't tell if that was their plan you know? It felt like it was accidental, and then they were like, oh, oops. Um, and then they call the fire department. Right. They had a phone signal. Right, exactly. And like, this what is the they... first phone call they made. Right. And in any case, the cabin's burning down. They, like, find a little, um, like, a little, I, I don't know, is it like a little tool cabin? Like a little yeah, shed? Yeah, shed. It's a shed. And it's full of all the... And I can't believe they haven't been in this thing before. Like, it's basically full of every possible thing you would want. And obviously, there's a chainsaw. Hi, Evil Dead. um, Involved. And they're basically like, okay, we're going to take this and we're going to get out. Um, And they go on a crazy... zombie hunting binge. Yeah. Yeah, so they're basically uh, bringing back the story that the Wanderer told them when they first started, that the the Norwegians had uh, risen up against the Nazis, fighting them with sledgehammers and shovels and blah, 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 and sides. So that's kind of, you know, they outfit themselves with some of them are old school weapons, and then there's the chainsaw, and Martin still has the shotgun. And they, you know, they look all badass, and they get ready to fight some uh, some Nazi zombies. And you know what they do? This montage is very well done. They crack some heads. There's a lot of that blood you were talking about. They're covered <laughs> in the blood. So Martin, Martin has gotten over his fear of the blood. Um, and, you know, this is a lot of zombies to be taken care of. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a one really interesting little shot in this where Roy is, uh, I think it's after the first wave because he's using a sledgehammer for the first wave. Uh, in the second wave of zombies that are coming, he's ha- he's holding a little hammer in one hand and a sickle in the other. I saw that, yes. And he, like, puts them in front of him in, like, the Soviet flag formation. Right. And I don't right. know if that was supposed to be, like, 
it's so it's communists versus Nazis. Like, you know, they kind of hate each other. Is he a communist or I don't know. Right. I thought it was weird, too. You know, they are, I have to say, with their with their just two people and the stuff that they have, they do a pretty good job at destroying this that first wave. Um, but then, sadly, they they have to come to terms with the fact that the battle is not over. <laughs> um, because there is, is it, is it during this little second wave that um, Vergard shows up again? It might be the second or the third, but yeah, Vergard shows up and unleashes the uh, the machine gun and, and shoots shoots a wave of zombies down. Herzog shows up and and sends his like elite bunch of zombies at them. And, uh, and obviously, <laughs> they, obviously, they know that that Vergard is the one to take out because they go they all go for him. But he gets some pretty cool uh, snowmobile zombie kills in. He does. He does. <laughs> like, uh, flattening them with a jump or putting their head under the tracks and then just holding down the gas. It's pretty nasty. It is nasty, and he takes out a lot of them before before they, they get him. Um, and that's why it kind of bothers me how they get him, because I feel like Viergard, out of all of them, wouldn't have let his guard down here. Um, and somehow they sneak up upon him again. Well, I think they're just coming out of the snow. Like These damn Nazi zombies are just really good at just popping up right next to you. I guess so, but it just felt a little too, well, whatever, but I don't want to say it, it just didn't feel, I almost said it didn't feel realistic. <laughs> Which That's... I know is a ridiculous statement to make when discussing this film, but they they basically, this little group of elite zombie assassins take down Varigard by first stabbing him through the chest with a sword or a knife, um, and then totally decapitating him within, like, five seconds. Every single piece of him. Well, um, that's... Yeah, that's a... Uh, not decapitation, because that's just the head. It's a uh, quartering or whatever. Sorry, quartering. They, because um, they take all of his... Yeah, all of his limbs. They take everything. Um, and it's kind of sad, because he was just reunited with Martin Roy. He doesn't get to tell him all the cool stuff he's been doing in the meantime. Um, and... You know, in this second little wave of battle, Martin ends up getting bitten. Um, it, uh, you know, and they're still valiantly trying. And Martin, remembering um, Erland's advice, d- has his chainsaw and decides to do a self-amputation. Yeah, and Roy, Roy is like, dude, love, what I, are you doing? Actually, Roy's reactions here are the most, they are incredible. Because um, Roy is just, just like, totally aghast. Um because not only does he amputate his own arm, but he also cauterizes it using some matches and is it lighter fluid? Yeah. On the corpse <laughs> on of the another. On the corpse of a zombie. Um, and then, you know, he thinks he's okay. And then out of the snow, one of those pesky snow zombies come and they bite him in the dick. The, the, this was like the, the funniest part of the film, basically, where right after he cauterizes the wound, Martin is basically like, He's like laughing. He's like, wasn't that crazy? <laughs> and yeah. that zombie on his dick. Right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, kills that do? zombie. Kills that and zombie. Then, and then like he looks at the, the chainsaw and Roy's just like, no, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the final and last wave of, of zombies come in. Man, is it a doozy. So Herzog is standing there looking all smug. And they're just popping out of the snow from all over the place. 
Yeah, which I guess raises the question, how many of these Nazi zombies are there? Because they've killed probably 30. There were 300 of these Germans originally, but that was before the battle with the Norwegians in the 40s. So there shouldn't be that many. You would think that this would have been his little elite squad or whatever, but apparently not. Um, Apparently he has unlimited Nazi zombies at his control, and they they were all over (laughs) the grounds around the cabin. Right. Because he's like, rise up! And they just all get up out of the snow. And and Martin and Roy, to to their credit, just run, run like hell. Yeah. But then, it, you know, I feel, because Roy meets his end, but it's it's an end that I'm like, it's not fully clear that Herzog's hit him in the head with the hammer, but obviously that's what happened because mm-hmm. he starts holding his head. And then, once again, those crazy trees. I mean, these trees should also be have their own credit in this film because one of those trees disembowels him and his part of his intestine gets stuck to it and he can't run because he's stuck to the tree or part of his intestines like connecting him to the tree. Um, and obviously in a situation like this, he does what he has to do, which is to die. Um, and Herzog immediately takes this opportunity to pick his pocket. <laughs> which is how Martin finally realizes that it's the gold. Um, and, and that's, the source of the the zombies uh i don't know that's what they're looking for apparently because they all have this gold shit in their pockets and uh, once martin sees the herzog goes after it he then turns around and runs back to the cabin which is burnt down uh finds the box of jewelry and just gives it to them and runs away does he give it to them he kind of like points at it and then runs away and they go and grab it and give it to herzog yeah um, and so you think Martin's okay, except for the fact that obviously he's been bitten in the Johnson and is half freezing and trying to get back to the car. Yeah, the the bitten argument, I don't know that there is any kind of transformation to this either because they, they talk about this, Roy and Martin, when he's talking about like cutting off his arm and then cutting off his, his genitals. Uh, Roy's like, look, did you see what they've been doing to everybody they've caught? They just tear them apart. It's not like they're looking for reinforcements. They don't. They're not, they don't want, you know, they're not going to turn people over. And we never saw Vergard exhibit any symptoms of illness after he got bitten on the neck. So True. You're right. You're right. So maybe in this, it's just the Nazis are cursed. Um, but in any case, Martin makes the long, cold journey back to the car. And he's, he's obviously freezing. And, but he does make it. And as he's trying to kind of put the keys in the ignition... The gold coin that Hana had snuck into his pocket falls out. Yeah. And his last words or word was fuck. <laughs> as, <laughs> as the car just gets broken into by Herzog and that it just goes to, fades to black. But overall, what did you think about the film, Stuart? I watched it, but I did not really enjoy it. Honestly, I don't like Evil Dead enough to want to see lots of those right so Um, and that's what it was and and you know as self-conscious as it was whatever i I like seeing a a little insight into norwegian culture i'm not sure that this really counts as that um (laughs) (laughs) i you know i'd heard a lot about it so maybe this is part of it is that i didn't see it when it was starting to make waves and i think that's in part you know, part of it, it colored my opinion of this when watching it. 
Um, it was so hyped up that I, I don't exactly know what I expected, even though I knew the premise of it. Um, and I'd agree with you. I think it was a little too self-conscious. I think it couldn't quite decide what it wanted to be. Um, and I also felt like, and I know this is sort of a silly argument, but if you're going to have a plot line that involves cursed uh, Nazi zombies, you have to be a little bit more clear about where the heck they came from and why. I felt like there were a lot of plot holes, even more so than the usual horror film has. And it just bothered me. Like, I just don't... Like, did Sarah put that box of jewels and gold into the basement? Um, I think that is the implication because of two things. Because they find her backpack in the snow outside the cabin after Vergard has already left. And... They, he has that dream about her, which causes him to leave to look for her, where you see her going into that hatch, which is where the box is found, how she might have come across that box and uh, and why she would think, I need to put this in the freezer. Who knows? But I think that those two things, the, the, the fact that her backpack was there, she had been like, you know, basically says she had been there before them and the weird dream that uh, Vergard had. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe we are missing some of it due to the language. Um, maybe there are things that we didn't quite catch. Um, but overall, it still was a little strange. Um, and I did think the things that I liked about this film, I thought that some of the action scenes and the effects were very well done. And I thought overall the look of it, especially for $800,000, was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, it was hard to, re- I didn't really feel like, even though I know the characters were supposed to be kind of stereotypes, they didn't really, none of them really stood out for me except for, uh, Vergard. Um, the rest were kind of like, mm, I don't know. Um, I did like the Martin and, and Roy scenes a lot, but I, I didn't enjoy this film that much. It, it actually took me a little while to get through it. I had to sort of break it up a little bit. Oh, wow. Um, a harsh criticism from H.A., everybody. Which is not... No, for me, I, I usually I can just watch something straight through and I have no problem with it. And this, I was a little... I was kind of bored. So, um, I well, that's still the problem with basically a remake, which is kind of what it is. It's just yeah. a remake in the snow in a foreign language. Uh, right. That's exactly what it is. So, I, you know, I think if you're into this kind of thing, it's still... It has some laughs and it is funny, but it's not... Um, I guess it's, it fell below my expectations. So, but yeah. I also enjoyed the insight into Norwegian culture. <laughs> if and that's headbands. our biggest takeaway, yeah, and headbands. <laughs> and there you have it. That was Dead Snow recapped by Reanimated in episode 20. Hope you enjoyed that. Stick around for more content from Reanimated coming up real soon. Thanks. Thanks.